0: We are continuing in Jonah. Um, I'm excited at this morning's passage, chapter 3, all of chapter 3, so 10 verses. It's really the high mark, the high watermark of the book of Jonah. Uh, But just to give a little bit of a recap, um, most of us, I think, have heard of some portions of Jonah. I know it's summertime, you're in and out. So here's the recap. God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh, that great city, large, great meaning large, uh, and powerful And Jonah does the opposite. He goes to Tarshish. Instead of going by land to Nineveh, he goes by sea, and he tries to run from God. God pursues him. And remember the waves, the the water, uh, the fear, and the sailors. So they throw Jonah overboard, and God appoints a great fish to swallow Jonah uh, graciously. That's what the book is known for. Last week, we started with the last verse of chapter 2, that that fish vomited Jonah upon dry land. Um, but I want you to know that in chapter 2, there's this psalm or poem or prayer that Jonah has written. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, or maybe a long time ago, after, before my sabbatical. And I really would encourage you to go back and read that on your own to just see the way Jonah um, processes this story and processes what's going on in his life and in this running from the fish and in God's graciousness and the near disaster. But now... We looked at last week, he's being recommissioned. So last week we talked about God's grace leading Jonah to obey. That in our obedience, it's often through our failures that God rescues us, forgives us, and equips us for obedience. This morning we're going to talk about repentance. That theme has been throughout this worship service. We're going to see how Nineveh actually repents And we're going to examine that that for our own lives this morning. So let's look now at chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Um, This VBS week, uh, the the theme was Marsha Carnes was teaching on Jesus is the only real superhero. Now, when I first heard that, I kind of thought, okay, you know, but then I realized, I think I've preached on that. Like, that's actually a really good theme. So it's Coleman, if you'll put our slide up, this is the the image she used. So here you have all the famous, uh, my daughter's pointed out only male superheroes, so I'm sorry, there are powerful women superheroes missing. But in the middle is Jesus saying, and that's how I save the world. When uh, I got to one of the groups, uh, Francis Hatfield saw this and said, um... Now, I know who all those guys are, but I don't know who that guy in the middle in the white is. So we appreciated her honesty. Um, I texted that to Shane. He said, we practiced the second commandment at my house. We did not show images of Jesus. That's why she's unaware of who, who that is. So, okay, you can take that off. That's what we are, that's what the kids are looking at this week. Why do I bring that into this uh, Jonah study? Because... When you see a slot, when you think about superheroes, um, they have to, solve, like, they, they rescue from grave, grave danger, right? Like, when I watch Spider-Man or any of my superhero that I, that I love, I'm always slightly annoyed that they don't just fight crime. Like, every time they get their superpower, what happens? A worse, more heinous enemy shows up, and they're, all of their powers are needed. And, and I think often in our story of redemption, we forget the length Jesus had to go to. Meaning, we forget how evil we really are. We forget how evil the world really is. And I think for Jonah, the struggle for him in loving Nineveh, we're going to unpack what's going on as we move on, but I just want you to know the struggle really is he doesn't know how rescued he was, right? So for him, it doesn't make sense until the end of Jonah, the story, for him to love Nineveh because he's forgotten the length Jesus has gone to or or Yahweh has gone to to rescue him. So repentance is what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, Nineveh seems to be repenting in this story. It seems to be a revival. Uh, Some have called it one of the greatest revivals of all time. I mean, this great evil city completely turning and coming back to God, that would be what appears to happen. And it's through the lens or through the the process of repentance. So we're going to look at a couple of things. One, uh, I'm working on on my, my points still. So here's what we're going to go with. Half repentance, point one. Point two, whole repentance. And then point three, how do we do it? So half repentance. Let's just talk through the story a little bit. Jonah's been commissioned. You've heard me say that. You've read the text. And he's got, he has a, an eight-word sermon in the English, eight words. Um, in the Hebrew, it's even less. And here's the sermon. He goes, in half, he goes one day's journey into the city and then yells, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's all it took, right? That's his sermon. And what we find out, now, again, let me be clear, a couple of things. Possibly he said it repeatedly. Maybe he kept saying it. Possibly that's just a summary of a larger amount of words he said. But what we know is the immediacy of its effect. The Ninevites uh, immediately believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. And then it says, the word reached the king of Nineveh. Now, the question, a lot of people, a lot of commentators think this is sort of the people got it first, and then the king. It's very possible. Sometimes in the Hebrew, uh, the writer will present the whole picture and then give the details, like the creation story. You know, you'll hear that man was created, then you get the detail Of man's creation after that I wonder if maybe now in verse 6 we're getting the full picture of what happened the word that Jonah was preaching reaches the king and what's amazing is the king doesn't just simply like say he's sorry he he removes his robe he covers himself with sackcloth he sits in ashes like how does he know to do all of these things like he goes to great lengths to repent right and he says these words, and it's almost irony. Jonah lines up almost mathematically every verse to like a, an opposite side of the, of, the, of the book. So it's just really interesting when you line it up. It's almost, you, you read Jonah's short message, and then you listen to the king, who seems to even have more faith, hear, hear his decree. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Now, I don't know how long, but that's pretty severe. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. That's a portion of his decree. So what is repentance? What is, this, what is going on? Repentance means to turn, right? Many of you know the Greek word metanoia, to do a complete turnaround. But I want to insert what might not be obvious and it maybe should be, It's returning, it's turning around from a broken relationship, right? Sin is always leaving and sinning against a relationship, right? If you struggle with, think of last week we looked at the seven deadly sins briefly, just pick one and you'll realize it's a sin against a person. Lust hurts not only the people you have vowed your sexual love to, but also the people whom you're engaging with, even if it's just an image it's supporting an industry. So it's sin against people. Greed. You, greed isn't the love of money. It's the love of more money, right? We all, you know, If everyone had the same amount, it wouldn't be greed. It's I want more than the other guy. So sin is, against, is relationally against people, but ultimately sin is relationally against God. And so repentance is returning in that relationship. So I'm titling the first point half repentance because... What they want is not a relationship with Yahweh. In fact, the word for God here is Elohim in verse 8. With the sailors, when they repented, it was Yahweh. So it seems that their repentance is simply, I really don't want the bad things to happen that you're telling me could happen. And that's not a bad start. That's actually what that's part of repentance, it's seeing. The law telling us of the danger. It's us reading scripture and seeing the, the grave risk we're in and we repent. But the heart of repentance is, is a return to the Father. So this might be better called penance. Penance, where you try to make a payment for your own sin. It seems like, uh, you know, the movie The Mission, Robert De Niro. Anyone see that movie in the like 70s? Okay, so can you tell us about it? No. Um, but he's a, he's a, I think he's a friend, he carries a burden on his back. This is the point. And he's trying to find penance for his sin. He had a horrible past. And all he's doing, as, as beautiful as the movie is, is carrying this weight on his back, like climbing a mountain in Brazil and trying to earn his way back to the God, to the God whom he offended. Is that your view of repentance? You see it with children. With, um, you know, say you know, confess your sin or, or repent. And they'll say, "I'm sorry," right? Sorry. That's it. And then you, if you bring any more up, what's the next line? I said I'm sorry. Like this is done. Conversation's over. I've paid for that. Versus repentance, which is, I want a restored relationship. So let's move into the second point and spend some more time there. What would whole repentance look look like? In other words, what are you sorry for, right? Have you ever asked a child that? What are you sorry for? You know, the way we parent might be a good idea to treat our own hearts. When I struggle with sin, how often am I saying, what am I really sorry for? What did I do? So with Jonah, the, the, the... the aim of this letter, the aim of this prophecy is really to Jonah himself and to Israel. So he needs whole repentance. Um, Many many uh, commentators have seen the fact that Jonah is really an Old Testament look at the New Testament parable of the prodigal son, right? If you know the story of the prodigal son, um, there is a rich father who has, you know, many possessions with two sons, and one of his sons, the younger brother, demands his inheritance, essentially saying, you're dead to me, I want what is mine. He goes to the far country, he squanders it, and then a famine comes, and he's eating not even the food of pigs, he's not even able to eat their food, and so he realizes, I long to go back to my father, only I'm going to go back as a servant, penance. Right? He's going to go back and perform penance. And so as he comes back to the father, the father does what? Does it, you all know the story. He sees him from far off, hikes up his garment, and he runs to, to the son, not to Jonah, to the younger brother. And I want to point out this quote by Charles Spurgeon on the front cover of, this, of the worship guide. There are three quotes on repentance They're all good, but I think the first two are sort of the halfway repentance. I mean, they're good, but they're only halfway good. Look at the first one. Oswald Chambers, repentance always brings a man to this point. I have sinned. The surest sign that God is at work is when a man says that and means it. The entrance to the kingdom of God is through the panging pains of repentance crashing into a man's respectable goodness. I like that quote. I like Oswald Chambers, but I don't think that's the full picture of repentance. It's a partial picture. Right? Kathleen Norris says this, Repentance is not a popular word these days, but I believe that any of us recognize it when it strikes us in the gut. Repentance is coming to our senses, seeing suddenly what we've done that we might not have done, or recognizing that the problem is not in what we do, but in what we become. Hinting at the prodigal son. He comes to his senses, right? That's part of repentance. But then what he does in the, in the parable is he goes and he tries to make his way back through penance and through promising, I'll be a good slave. I'll no longer be a son. I'll go into the, your fields. I'll do the work I didn't do the first time. That's his view. But look at Spurgeon. He says, the prodigal son was resolved to come, yet he was half afraid. But we read that his father ran. Slow are the steps of repentance, but swift are the feet of forgiveness. God can run where we can scarcely limp. And if we are limping toward him, he will run toward us. Though the father was out of breath, he was not out of love. Your father loves you. If you are in Christ You are in union with Christ. You have a relationship with God that is untarnished, and he cherishes you. And you look at Jonah, and you see it all through the book of Jonah, the things that Jonah has done, and yet God is pursuing him. God appoints a fish to rescue him from the water. Later, we'll see that God appoints a plant to give him shelter. Like God is constantly after Jonah's heart. Because God wants that relationship with him. Just like the father, I love at the end of, that, of the story, and by the way, let me back up a moment. Um, often we call that the prodigal son story, but really, if you look at the context, it's the story of the two sons, and really it's about the older son. Jesus is talking to Pharisees, and, and they seemingly don't care for the lost, and they don't understand why Jesus cares so much for the lost. And so Jesus tells that parable to say the older brother, who seemed to have it all together, hated the fact that Jonah was, or that the, I keep doing it, that the younger brother was welcomed back into the home. And he said, all this time, you know, where is my party? Where is my fattened calf? Where is my ring? And what does the father say to him? You have been with me. I have been with you. We have been in fellowship revealing that for the brother, that fellowship wasn't what he was after. And so Jonah, I think, resembles that older brother. And so does Israel. When a prophet writes, when a prophet is called to write to Israel, to proclaim, it is usually, usually to warn them. Later, Assyria is gonna take Israel out. They're already a divided kingdom. Uh, they've begun to rebel against God. They've gone, done what is right in their own eyes. If you read through 2 Kings, most of the kings are bad. Jonah himself, though a great prophet, is prophesying under one of the bad kings. And Jonah himself is a nationalist more excited about Israel's flourishing than about the people walking in union and closeness with their heavenly father. So God... Takes Jonah and does something he often does, and he says, rather than just have you write a story, why don't I have you become the story? Right? You know, Hosea marries Gomer, the prostitute. That becomes the prophecy. For Jonah, like, he's probably walking around Nineveh with fish like spittle on him. Like, some people wonder, did he come right out of the fish and just go straight to Nineveh? What does he look like? No, maybe he washed up. Maybe he cleaned up. But the story precedes him. So the Ninevites have probably heard, this is the crazy guy that was swallowed by a fish, trying to get away from us. Who knows all the details that are preceding him? But here he is at a place that is exceedingly evil. If I were to tell you the kinds of things that Assyria did to their enemies, and even their own people, it's hard to even hear the list. They are evil, and Jonah hates them, and that's a picture for, from God's perspective of a, His inability to see of the love of God. So here's the question: When you think of repentance, are you thinking in terms of you trying to get better, or are you thinking in terms of you reuniting relationally with your heavenly Father, which will be revealed? and how you love people, right? How do you love others? I've told the story uh, when I went through Sonship years ago. Uh, I remember like this, the second lesson, maybe the third lesson, I finally thought, when am I gonna learn how to be more disciplined? Like, I, I actually asked the question, like, is this only gonna be about loving people? We forget that that is the law, right? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself, and so when we are in repentance, we will begin to grow in love for others, because the reason we're not loving people is what? I. I. I will do. I will survive. I will live. This morning, I was reading Galatians 2:20. Uh, it just kind of struck me. I've read it. We've all read it a million times. If you haven't memorized it, please do. And I just processed what Paul is saying in Galatians 2:20. Uh, Felt it felt new, though. That's that's what I love about scripture. You can come to it for the millionth time. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, every time I've read that line, I've read it this way: I have been crucified with, like this kind of with him, like commingled with him. But Paul is saying, I was alongside of Christ. But the I, right, the pronoun me, I was crucified. It is no longer I by myself who live, but Christ who lives in me. So what Paul is saying is, you are no longer an I. You are a we. We talked about that last week. In repentance, you're coming back alongside the purposes of God, and you're saying, I want to live by faith in you, Jesus, because you have saved me. You have rescued me. You have changed my identity, and now I am in you versus I'm going to do this. So even as I read that this morning, I was journaling, and I wrote something like, Lord, help me, and I wrote something along these lines, and I really looked at it and thought, what I'm asking for is that I would read this verse, that the Holy Spirit would change me in such a way that I would go forth and be a better person on my own. Does anybody ever pray that prayer? I want to be better. I want to repent repent and do whatever I have to do, like Ninevites, so that when I go forth, I'm a better person. Because secretly, somewhere, I'm trying to keep Jesus and His blood far away from me. So, what is the process? Our third point is to move into our union with Christ through repentance. Richard Lovelace says this: Repentance and mortification of sin are. are he says regeneration. And conversion are only the first stages of our growth in Christ. The spiritual life demands repentance, a new mind of repentance. To fully develop this, he uses the word metanoia, but repentance, in the process of sanctification involves the breaking up of every area of conformity to the world's patterns of corporate flesh and the increasing transformation of our lives by the Holy Spirit renewing his work in our minds. And he quotes John Owen, who says this, the vigor and the power of spiritual life is dependent on mortification of sin. He goes on to talk about the law, and he says the law is a tracer chemical to your heart, revealing where you are living alone, living in isolation, living apart from God. So when the law comes and says, love your neighbor as yourself, right, That's the law saying to me, where am I not doing that? And so for Jonah, the chief sin of Jonah was hatred for the Ninevites. You might call it racism. And my question to you is where are you relationally broken down? Where are you relationally separated from people? What relationships are are just not right? I mean, I don't know how else to say that. Sometimes I think we fool ourselves into thinking, no, I have a, I, I'm doing fine relationally. I, have, I keep short accounts. I, I'm a, in I'm a, I'm a good relationship with everybody I care about because the people I don't like, I don't talk to. You know, like they're gone. So I have cut them out, but I have great relationships. My question to you is how are you relating to the people in your life? How do you handle others that are different from you? Do you, this is a, a stretch, I want to set us up for the next thought, but do you notice the ways you hate? Have you ever caught yourself saying, I hate this person? I don't like that person? Like, you can't say that. I, I, you, guys, you can't do that. It's not okay. But yet we do it all the time. Maybe we say it like this. I don't really uh, like people who, and then we have like a category, you know. That reveals that your heart is not resting in the love of the Father. So there's this poem. Doug and I uh, used to kind of read these poems. I, this one caught my attention. And so we're going to put it up on the wall behind us. And I'm going to read it for you. And we're going we're to unpack it. It's called Whale by Dorothy Parker. Are we able to get that, Coleman? He was waiting for his actual name to be. Can you see that? Love has gone a-rocketing. That is not the worst. I could do without the thing and not be the first. Okay, so I'm going to pause. I can do without love. Next, Next stanza. Joy has gone the way it came. That is nothing new. I could get along the same. Many people do. Dig for me the narrow bed. Now I am bereft. All my pretty hates are dead, and what have I left? When I read that, and as I've pondered that, um, what she is saying, at least my interpretation, if you go try to get a professional interpretation online, you have to pay for it. So this is my interpretation. She can handle not having love. She'd like it, but she can handle that. She can even handle not having joy. That's even more common than not having love. But what she can't handle is not having her pretty hates. We are fueled by our pretty hates. You can take it down. We are fueled by the ways other people make us feel. When you see a mass shooting in the paper, how soon are we to say what we feel about that person or that point of view or that thing? Like We face the problems in our life with our pretty hates. That's what we bring out. If we, I just can't stand it when lawmakers do this, or I just can't stand that you guys don't see this. Like, we we lead with those things. How many people cry out, Lord, have mercy. Our race is sinful. Original sin is 100%, 100% absolutely true. We are lost. So when you see a mass shooting, do you go, oh my gosh, like, this sounds crazy, but that kind of, like, we are, we are lost. That's the way sin goes. It's horrific. And that terror and that horror in your heart, does it drive you to your knees? I mean, for Jonah to go into the city of Nineveh and say what he said, are, are we willing to call for revival? Are we willing to cry out, Lord, we need revival, or are we leading with just our pretty hates? Oh, this is why this happened. It's horrible, but this is why. Do you see what I'm saying? We, we clean ourselves and we f- try to fix our problems not with dependence on Jesus and repenting of our own sin, but we do it so often by just trying to lead with why someone else is wrong, why someone else is broken, why some other person's problem led to the solution or led to the issue. And so I think as I look at Jonah and I see what we're going to find him in these last verses, especially chapter 4 as well, struggling with, is God's mercy and God's kindness lead us to repentance, but the heart of that repentance is a return to our relationship and union with him, like a recognition that we are in Christ. So Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, that is my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And as you read through this message of Jonah, you start to realize God wants relationship with Jonah, and God wants relationship restored with Israel. This is a crying out and a calling out to Israel, to the older brother. Are you repenting? Are we saying, Lord, I want to return to you? Or are we sort of living out of other ways of the flesh as simple I? So what do you do practically? The practical answer is we pray. Like, that's, that's the language of repentance. That's the language of returning to to the Father, isn't it? Listen to Jack Miller. He says, Christians have missed the link between prayer and God's purposes in the world. It is simply that prayer starts the promises of God on their way to fulfillment. In prayer, God allows us to lay hold of his purposes as they are expressed in his promises. Each promise is a hook for pulling our faith into the heavens. There we catch God's missionary vision of the world filled with his praise. By claiming his promises, we petition him in prayer. We set his work in motion. The question is this. Do we want Ninevites to be saved? Do you want your pretty hates to be revived? Do you want that person that you're at odds with to know the Lord or to repent or to have a relationship with you? Do you not, like, do I care if my neighbor knows Jesus? Do we? Years ago, I saw a video with Penn Gillette. You know Penn and Penn and Teller, um, and it's like a little like a video he just recorded on his computer after a show. So he had had a, a magic show, and apparently, a person approached him after the show and shared the gospel with him. And he's not a Christian. So he he politely tells the person, thank you for sharing the gospel with me. Thank you for telling me that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. Thank you for, for, and he wasn't being sarcastic. And then he sits down and makes this video, and here's what he says. He starts crying. And he says, I am an atheist, but why is that the only person in my life that has shared the gospel with me? Why would that person wait till after my show, see if he can talk to me and use that one opportunity to share the gospel? He starts advocating that we become people who share the gospel, and he's an atheist. Why? He says, Because it would be the most evil thing I can conceive of. If you believe you have the answer to eternal life, to not tell the enemies of God. And so I see Jonah. Being told by God, go to Nineveh and call out against it, and he seems to just do the bare minimum. And in God's mercy, they are revived; like they repent. Now, again, we know that later something goes wrong with their repentance. In Nahum, you'll see that if you were to read a few a few books forward. But nonetheless, God's mercy was poured out. Do you believe in the promises? Do you believe in a restored relationship with the Holy Spirit for your soul so that you would love those people that it's easier to hate? Are you praying for that? Let's pray. Lord, we are blown away by the story of the Ninevites. It's almost too much to believe. And yet, you show yourself to be merciful. And we think back to the slide at the beginning, Lord, and see that Um, Indeed, Jesus, you are the only one that has rescued. And the length you had to go to is death. Forgive me, Lord, for um, saying that so many times that I forget it. Saying it so many times that I don't feel it anymore. I pray that we each, as we take communion this morning, would feel and understand freshly the cost of our rebellion. Holy Spirit, I pray you would pour into us the reality that we are saved, that our identity is now in Christ, and that we no longer have to try to prove anything that we can live out of the fruit of the Spirit because of what you've done. Would you Open our eyes to that reality as we take this supper together for your glory. Amen.